Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, my name is Vina. For tonight's podcast, we're hitting the road, and we're going to check out a few abandoned ghost towns around the Golden State of California. So if abandoned mining towns is your thing, then this is definitely your episode. But instead of Panda Mike joining me, I have my darling husband, joining me tonight. He doesn't have a music intro like the panda sue not special enough well he does it more often oh okay i get it so tonight like i said we're gonna talk about some old abandoned mining towns while lunchbox lets us know about some of the spectacular nighttime views that we would be able to see if we were at any of these Abandoned mining towns at a certain times of the year. We're talking about some awesome 2021 meteor showers. But let's head to our first stop. That would be in the Mojave Desert. About 150 miles from Bakersfield is the abandoned town of Ballarat. Named after a gold rush town of Australia, which is also another abandoned ghost town in Australia, our American town was established in 1897. This town once hustled and bustled with gold prospectors. It had seven saloons, a school, three hotels, a jail, a morgue, and a Wells Fargo route. But apparently no churches. How big was this? Do you know the population of this place? Seven bars. That seems like a lot of bars. Well, they had to keep the the miners busy. But speaking of the bars, Ballarat was actually very important for both the water and the whiskey. So like all booming towns, eventually it goes bust. It goes bust by 1905. And the uh, post office finally closes in 1917. But today, you can camp out in nearby campgrounds. And if you do, you can check out the graveyards, the few remaining buildings, and you could still buy something at the general store that is currently ran by the last remaining man and his dogs. Good old Rocky Novick and his dog, Pot Liquor and Brownies. <laughs> Brownies. <laughs> so, uh, let, me, let me get this right. The town was founded in 1897 and was bust by 1905? Correct. So, so, eight years? Eight years. The heck, man. That must have been a crappy place to live if it only stayed around for eight years. Well, believe it or not, there's actually some additional interesting facts about Ballarat. In the 1960s, Charles Manson and the Manson family of killers actually moved into a ranch south of Ballarat. And whilst there, they would come into the 
the abandoned mining town and graffiti the town. And if you're, you know, meandering through and you spot an old green Dodge power wagon, it was actually abandoned by Tex Weston, who was a Manson family member, uh, as he was actually trying to escape the raid on Barker Ranch where the Manson family was being held up. So he that's creepy. He bailed on his ride. He just left his truck in the middle of nowhere. Correct. And, and still there? Yes. Wow, let's go see it. Well, maybe. But you've seen the movie e- Easy Rider? Yeah. So you remember that scene where Peter Fonda's character, Billy, he removes his Rolex watch and throws it away before he and Dennis Hopper like heads east on their motorcycles to New Orleans? I kind of remember it, but yeah. I guess it's like a significant moment where he's, you know. He has like a coming to. Well, his like, last moment yeah. of. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was actually shot also in Ballarat. Oh, cool. So to get here, take Route 178 from east from Bakersfield at uh, Searley's Valley. Follow Trona Wild Rose Road north for about 23 miles, turning on Ballarat Road. And in 3.5 miles, you will have made it to Ballarat. Now, very like, specific direction. Right. <laughs> you guys better go. <laughs> well, the point is, is that, I mean, this place is still there and still standing and it's very historic. So sounds like a legit haunted ghost town place. Well, so that's an abandoned mining town. Oh, oh but okay, okay. talking about ghost towns. Let's talk about Ransburg. Now, this is also located in Southern California. In fact, it's located in Kern County. It's about 17 miles south of Ridgecrest. So, in 1895, gold was discovered by John Singleton, F.M. Moore, and Charlie Burcham in a claim that they dubbed the Ran Mine near Ramsburg. So, mining, so a mining cap was quickly erected, and by 1860. And by 1896, it had its very own post office. So the town just totally exploded. By the time they found the gold in 1895. Oh, yeah. One year and the town exploded, got its own post office. Right. Wow. And, it, I mean, it explodes. So Moving it's up. Correct. It was actually estimated that $60 million worth of gold was produced from the mines there that eventually, you know, bloom and get developed in Ransburg's heyday. There was an opera house, a barber, a general store, some saloons, and actually, this time around, a few churches. And these buildings are actually still standing. But this is just a small portion of what was originally there. Sadly, a fire, actually several fires, destroyed this town again and again. And after a large population of people left, didn't get rebuilt. So, like most gold mining towns once the gold stopped people abandoned the town and moved on but unlike Ballarat Ransburg is actually still holding on in fact good old tourism is keeping it alive and well today they host such events like Westerners Celebration Day uh, where you can actually catch gunfights pan for gold listen to live bands dance like no one's watching we know all about dancing like nobody watches yeah sometimes that's fun but you can also buy whatnots from vendors, and these actually get held this particular weekend, Western Day, gets held the third weekend of September. Now, during Thanksgiving and New Year's weekend, you can actually go off-roading 
with some of the other off-roading enthusiasts. So there's a lot of fun things to kind of do. And they even have a museum, which is open on the weekend and long holiday weekends from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can get a meal at the general store or grab a cold drink at their local 100-year-old saloon, which still has their boot rails and spitting batoons. And if you're super lucky, you can catch a show at the Opera House, a show that gets put on by the locals called the Gold Dust Players. And, best part, you can spend the night if you plan ahead and make reservations. The Ramsburg Hotel has three rooms, while the Cottage Hotel rents out cabin. And if it's not the tourists that are coming through that keeps it going, it's actually the movies. Believe it or not, Ramsburg had several movies shot on location there. Like one in particular movie was Cowboys and Aliens, you know, good old Harrison Ford, James, and, and James Bond, Daniel Craig himself. So we're talking Solo and Bond, but my money's on Ooh. Solo because, you know, everyone. Everyone loves Solo. Well, not only that, but everyone knows Solo shot first. Either way. And if you're a Dwight Yoakam fan, you would be delighted to know that his video Long White Cadillac apparently was also filmed there. So this place, okay, might be a little bit touristy, but it does still have a lot of valid history. And you never know who might be scouting out this uh, area for the next movie. Um, Located between Ridgecrest and Barron on Highway 395, you can take a trip to the past, but... Keep your futuristic horse-drawn carriage well supplied with gas. <laughs> and if you see a turtle or a tortoise, the locals actually, when I did my research, they stressed this. Uh, they stressed this on multiple parts of their website. They asked that you please do not touch the turtles. The shock of them being picked up can cause too much stress, and it makes them lose water. And losing water is super bad for them. So. You see a really cute turtle just trudging along, just take a couple of pictures and move along. Probably because there's no water in the desert. Well, that, yeah, it is. That's why they lose their water, I guess. Well, you know, it's kind of like having an anxiety attack. Yeah, So that makes sense. But apparently this place. Leave the turtles alone. Correct. But apparently they're well known for their turtles, too. Oh, okay. All right. So we've, we've talked about a mining town. We've talked about a ghost mining town. Let's talk about Allensworth. In August of 1908, Colonel Allen Allensworth and four other settlers established a town founded, financed, and governed by African Americans. It was their dream of developing an abundant and thriving community that allowed African Americans, fellow African Americans, to help themselves and live, you know, the basic American dream in, you know, 1908. So Mr. Allen Allensworth was a African American? Correct. He was actually born a slave in Louisville, Kentucky in 1842. At the age of 12, he was sold down the river for trying to read and write. And after some trading by slave dealers, he was he gets taken to New Orleans and gets purchased by a slaveholder to become a jockey. Now, during the Civil War, he escapes and he sought refuge behind the Union line where he actually begins working as a civilian nurse and the Army Hospital Corps. So then he joins the Navy when he gets discharged. He actually achieves the rank of petty officer. And then in 1871, he gets ordained as a Baptist minister and enters the Baptist Theological Institute at Nashville. 
And while serving at the Union Baptist Church, he understands the need for African-American chaplains in the armed services. And on April 1st, 1886, President Grover Cleveland appoints Allen Worth to chaplain of the 24th Infantry the, of the Buffalo Soldiers. Now, when he retires as a lieutenant on April 7th in 1906, he has actually achieved the highest rank of any African-American in the U.S. services. And after he leaves the armed forces, he heads to California, where he establishes this settlement, again, with four other settlers, and they build schools, they build several businesses like barbershops, a bakery, a library, a library, library, library. That's like a horse place. I yeah, think. stable. So like, so you're, 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 what you're saying, what I understand, they go there, these five, these five people go there and start this whole town. Correct. Or if, is it five families? It's four other settlers. So yeah. So five people. Correct. Himself and four others. Right. But okay. they're, they're. You know, advertising. They're so they're probably getting more people to show up. Correct. Okay, okay. And they continue to build. They even have a drugstore, a machine shop, even a hotel. Now, Allensworth's prosperity actually peaks in 1925. However, after the death of Allen, the town's founder, and the lack of irrigation of water begins to cause some problems. They, they actually never receive sufficient amount of water promised by the Pacific Farming Company, the the land development firm that handled the original purchase so that these settlers can keep their farms going. But despite taking the Pacific Farming Company to court, they don't win, and with no water, all the settlers have to start leaving Allenstown. And the, the thing about this is, is that this town was really uh, prosperous and it had so many wonderful things going for it. In fact, one of the schools that gets built, I mean they it was served as a town meeting for events and this town had a progressive association league, they had a women's improvement league, a debating society, a theater club and they even had a glee club. So I mean, they, these so guys... It sounds were, like they were doing pretty well. Right. Correct. But unfortunately because of the water issue... They couldn't stay, and eventually um, the town population just peters out. The post office ends up closing in 1931, and even though a few families managed to remain, in 1974, the California State Parks actually purchased the land, and they do something really awesome. What they do is they restore and reconstruct the, the buildings, including the colonel's house, uh, and, and the Baptist Church and the library. And it's still furnished as it would have been, um, you know, back in, 19, in the 1900s. And you can visit this place. There is a park center and a tours that are available, uh, so long as you make arrangements in advance. And at the visitor center, you can watch a video, a presentation of, you know, them coming and them establishing this wonderful, wonderful place. So to get here, the park is actually north of Bakersfield. So it's still in the south portion of California. It's 20 miles north of Wasco on Highway 43, seven miles east of Early Mart on County Road J22. Now, 
I think it's pretty awesome that you know they have this wonderful background, this wonderful history, and it's a uh, it's a it's it's still standing. The state of California worked to make that this this history does not die. Yeah, pretty cool. Now, so we've talked about um, abandoned gold towns. We talked about a ghost town, and we've talked about this historical settlement. I'd like to talk about my favorite place of them all when it comes to ghost towns, and that would be the grand town of Bodie. So let's be honest, guys. Bodie actually has a very special place in my heart. My mother and I both thought highly of this place and have visited it. Now, Bodie is located in Mono County. And both gold and silver was found there by a New York prospector by the name of W.S. Brody. Now, he actually ends up dying due to the harsh winter conditions before the town gets established in 1859. But for his troubles, the town would eventually be named after him, even though it's they misspell his last name. So in its heyday, Bodie had a population of at least 10,000 people. To look at it now, you wouldn't believe it, but over it at one point in time had over 60 saloons, three breweries, a few opium dens, some gambling halls, three newspapers, a couple of banks, a school, and of course, the red light district. That's a lot of booze and a lot of drugs for 10,000 people. Right. Well, they did actually have a lot of prospectors and apparently uh, very violent offenders. Today as it is, 110 buildings still stand, and you can view what's inside via the windows. Now, Bodie has two main mines, the Bodie Mine and the Standard Mine. The mines would eventually merge in 1887, but between all of the mines in the area, they estimate somewhere from 90 to $100 million of ore gets produced. And like a lot of these other ghost towns, the, de- the decline obviously begins when there's no more gold or silver. So by 1916, the Standard Mill closes, and by 1932, two-and-a-half-year-old boy playing with matches burns 90% of the building. So sadly, this is where we kind of lose the bulk of the history of Bodie Park. Now, currently, the state of California has opted to leave it in what they call its arresting decay state. So when you go, you can literally find it exactly how people left. In one of the homes, one of the family homes, you can see the dishes are stacked. In the town morgue, you can see peeled wallpaper swing from ribbons of the ceiling above empty caskets. Over at the school, you could still see the chalkboard lessons the last teacher was teaching. And best part ever, there are actual ghosts. Not surprising, you know, between the gunfights, the robberies, the stage coach holds up and murders, they were all common. And, well, back then, you know, the laws were a lot different than they are now. So, it was the wild, wild west, baby. That's right. So if you're ghost hunting, here's where you want to go. At the J.S. Kane House, which is on the corner of Green and Park Street, a Chinese maid haunts the home. She apparently hates adults, but likes children. 
The maid apparently is also partial to opening and closing doors inside the home. In the Gregory house, an old woman haunts the place. Guests and staff have seen her rocking in her chair, knitting an afghan. Um, other times, it's just the chair rocking by itself. In the Medici house, there's actually a few things going on. It's believed that the ghost of Mrs. Medici is haunting the place. She was known for her love of cooking Italian food, and there are reports of delicious aromas when people enter the home as if somebody had been cooking something. That she was know. making them dinner. Right. The memory still lingers. Yeah. And the r- park rangers also report the sounds of children laughing and the sounds of like par- a party still going on. Sure. At the Bichambeau house, visitors have actually seen a woman peering out the upstairs window. And the homes aren't the only places that are haunted. The cemetery is too. There's a report of a three-year-old girl who was accidentally killed when she was struck in the head by a miner's act. I'm not sure how that happens accidentally in the head by a miner's pick, but apparently that's the story. And it's said that she plays with other live children who are there with her parents visiting the cemetery. And apparently there's also a curious avenging spirit there as well. So the story has it that after World War II, there were only six people clinging to Bodhi. One of them, a husband, shot and killed his wife. Three men of the remaining four kills the husband. But the husband gets his revenge. Per the legend, his apparition appeared to each man, respectively. After doing so, each man dies of some strange disease. So, you've got your arrested decay, you've got your ghost, you've got your vengeance spirits, aren't you know, and, and this these aren't the only things that make Bodhi unique. In fact, the one awesome thing about Bodhi that I do actually appreciate, <laughs> which was, and this is the ironic part, so this story I'm about to share was originally fabricated, but it actually turned out to be true. So when the state of California parks, state parks took over in 1962, people would come and steal Items. Remember the arrested decay and the, how the houses were left? They would come and steal nonchalant items as souvenirs. We're talking, you know, rocks, nails, shoes. Someone even stole Kind of whatever they found laying around on right. the ground. Right. In fact, someone even stole a whole piano. And so the. <laughs> the how do you steal a whole piano? Well, let's just take this loaded up in the back of the truck. Let's go home, buddy. Well, they did. That's crazy. The rangers got a little tired of people stealing from basically what they considered the outside museum. So they invented the curse of Bodhi to help prevent or kind of taper people from stealing items from Bodhi. Except it turns out that the curse that they created actually exists because... Almost on a daily basis, they are getting returned items from people who swear the curse <laughs> is real. It probably is real. So, and in fact, became kind of this like this. Yeah, thing. I remember when we visited there. They actually started to display the collected letters and mm-hmm. the return items in their museum, and the letters vary from ramblings on on a multiple page narrative to one sentences apologizing. Uh, or even to just to post-its, like 
sorry I stole this on a sticky tab and sent it back. Well, in some of the letters, the people explained that the curse, what the curse did to them. Like the curse took on forms of ghostly apparitions or poltergeist-like disturbances began happening in their houses. But like some of them was just like bad luck. You know, losing a job or car problems or strange accidents. And in some instances, the curse would strike them immediately, like on the drive home. So I actually thought this was great. You know, I so here are actually a few sample letters that the Rangers for Bodie Park have received. So, <laughs> dear Bodie, dot, 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 dot. I'm sorry that I took this piece of metal from the town. I thought it was all a joke, but it wasn't. Things are happening that are very hard to explain. This was sent in 2003. Another another letter. Fair warning to anyone that thinks that this is just folklore, dot, dot. My life has never seen so much turmoil. Please take my mourning and do not remove even a speck of dust. <laughs> that, that was in 2002. Uh, another letter. You can have these godforsaken rocks back. I have never had such rotten luck in my life. Please forgive me for ever testing the curse of Bodhi that was sent in 2004. Uh, so, But these are getting better. Please find enclosed one weather-beaten old shoe. The shoe <laughs> was removed from Bodhi during the month of August 1978. My trail of misfortune is so long and depressing, it can't be listed here. That was not dated, but that was part of one of the letters. Okay, so one last letter. Hello, this nail was taken from the town of Bodie. This should not have happened. Nothing should leave Bodie. Who wants bad luck? Please put it back for me. Thank you. So I don't actually have a date for that one. So... The part where the guy wrote, please put it back for me, was actually highlighted, like I think in pink highlight. And, yeah, even the piano. They, they brought the piano they, back? They brought the piano back. So oh, that's nice of them. Things are coming back to Bodhi, but it's coming at a high price. Now, while all these things make a good part of Bodhi, it doesn't really make the human aspect of it. As I said earlier, Bodhi has a special place in my heart because of one one young lady who came out west and died in Bodhi. Her name was Rosa May. I first learned about her when my mother and I visited in Virginia City in you know Nevada. Uh, I actually go to Virginia City a lot. But for this particular trip, we both picked up a book called Rosa May by George Williams III. Now, I don't. Uh, normally promote books you guys know this but this book kind of bonded my mom and I and our search for Rosa May and if you ever get a chance to look up on the cover is Rosa May and she's this young beautiful youthful sense of hope but unfortunately you know she wasn't allowed to be buried in the proper cemetery of Bodhi because you know quote-unquote Christians who claim they don't judge um guess what they do judge and they like to play nasty little games of you can't sit with us when prostitutes die but there's this strange situation where she's really not where her headstone is she's supposedly located close by again her actual there's there's like two different burial sites for her and it's just kind of sad because 
she contributed to the history of Bodie. She contributed to the history of Virginia City. And she, you know, she lived to tell the tale. And she was very generous. She would give the children dimes. She would give them candy. She was very generous towards children. And I know when I was there, I found what I thought was her resting place. And I sent a picture to my mom. And, um, you know, that was my mother and mine bonding experience and you know i just really hope wherever she's buried she is at peace just like the rest of Bodie. but if you are in- intrigued and you want to see Bodie for yourself it is located 75 miles from lake tahoe just take good old highway 395 until you reach state route 270 um, at that point it's about seven miles the road will turn to a dirt road for the last remaining three can i just say i've been to Bodie. if you ever go to Bodie, well i went with you 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 i, I think it costs like ten dollars or whatever i don't know what it costs extra to take the tour of the stamp mill that is probably the coolest thing that i mean it's it, Especially if you're like me and you're a guy and you're into like mechanical stuff and you like to see how stuff works. It's really, 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 really interesting. The whole town is actually pretty interesting. Um, And just to see what's still there and just to kind of walk the streets and be like, this used to be a bustling town. 10,000 people and it, it, it seems small. So when you're there and you think if... I didn't know there was 10,000 people. I can't imagine 10,000 people there. That would be like, because to me, it seemed like a small place when we were there. Right. And we did seem, we did see uh, remnants of a modern day. We saw electricity poles and I think telephones. Well, yeah, because the, the last people didn't leave there until like the 50s or 60s, I think. Right. They, there's cars there. Yeah. yeah. Even, I think there's a gas station that's but there. Like, yeah. So the last, the last, People didn't leave Bodie until the 50s or 60s. I don't remember exactly when. So, there, yeah, there's some of that stuff there. Not modern, modern stuff, but, you know, back to the 40s and 50s, modern. Right. But one of the other cool things about, you know, going to these places out in the middle of nowhere and seeing these historic places, Allensworth Town, um, Bodie, even Ramsburg, I mean, we're still walking in the footsteps of, of a history that established a nation. You know, a lot of people don't realize that some of the gold that was, like, for instance, that was mined out of Virginia City, not that we're talking about Virginia City because these are only towns in California, but, you know, that contributed to the Civil War, which, you know, even today we're seeing issues still unresolved from the Civil War. So, you know, these towns built this nation, and they shouldn't be forgotten. And one of the cool things is, is that you can go out there, and because of the no one's around, you're in the middle of the desert, light pollution, regular pollution is you know kept to a minimum, which gives us the opportunity to not only go camping but see beautiful skies. And in seeing beautiful skies, we have you know nature's own fireworks. And here... Here to talk about nature's nocturnal night shows is Lunchbox with his list of five awesome meteor showers. I, I don't really know what to call them, but there's actually a bunch more. The Perceived, that's the name of this meteor shower. It's in 
late evening to dawn on August 11th, 12th, and 13th, 2021. They come from the constellation Perseus the Hero. You don't really have to know where that constellation is or anything. You just look up there and you'll see them. But it's the, the, the brightest ones are late, 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 like after midnight and early morning. Um, and the predicted peak in 2021 is the night of August 11th, 12th, late midnight, the 11th, early morning, the 12th. But the nights before and after are all right, too. So after August, the Draconids, and that's October 8th, 2021. The point of the Draconids comes from the constellation Draco the Dragon in the northern sky. That's why the Draconids are best viewed from the northern hemisphere. The best time to see it is right before it starts to get dark and until it gets dark. Uh, so this one's different than the other ones. So what I read was that the Draconid shower is a real oddity in that the radiant point stands highest in the sky as darkness falls. So the next is called the Orionids. And that is October 21st. So just a couple weeks later. So October 8th and then October 21st for the Orionids. Unfortunately, this year it says that the uh, full moon accompanies the Orionids. So it, it, won't, it won't be as visible because of the moonlight. More meters tend to fly after midnight. And the Orionids are typically at their best in the wee hours before dawn. So early morning. And they sometimes produce bright fireballs. And then we have another one in November. The 17th of November, the Leonids. This one actually comes from radiating from the constellation Leo the Lion. The Leonid meteor shower has produced some of the greatest meteor storms in history. Thousands of meteors per minute during a span of 15, 15 minutes. So this year the expected peak is at from late night November 16th till dawn on November 17th. Though the bright waxing gibbous moon will be out nearly all night long, setting in the wee hours before sunrise. So right before sunrise sounds like it might be the best time to see him because the moon's going to set. Pretty awesome. And the last one that I have is December 13th and 14th, mid-evening until dawn, the Geminids. The radiating point is near the bright stars Castor and Pollux in the constellation Gemini the Twin. The Geminid meteor shower is one of the finest meteor showers in northern hemisphere. You can still see it in the southern hemisphere, but it's m better viewed from the northern hemisphere. The meteors are plentiful, and they rival the August Perseids, which we talked about already. They are often bold, white, and bright. On a dark night, you can catch 50 or more meteors per hour in a dark, moonless sky. But this year, a waxing gibbous moon will obtrude on the show for much of the night. The greatest number of meteors fall in the wee hours after midnight, centered around 2 a.m. So go out there about 2 a.m., you know, after you're done drinking at the bar, go out and watch the sky. Sound about right? During December? Uh, Yep. <laughs> December 13th, 14th. So it might be cold, especially if you live in the mountains where we live. But if you're at one of these other places, you know, you're at Bodie, probably going to be really cold. Might not be camping, but it's going to be dark, so yes. you'll be able to see them. Yes, it will be. So that's what we have for tonight. Some awesome ghost towns, some awesome former mining towns where you can go camping, enjoy the night sky. Bodie, let me tell you folks, 
you ever get a chance, go to Bodie. Go see it all. It's well worth the trip. Very interesting. So, a quick reminder, uh, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. You guys know I'm on Facebook. Um, so, uh, traveling emails, send me your traveling emails. However, if you have a, a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Thank you.